G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. This experience happened to my roommates and I in our second year of university. The city that we went to school in was considered a very safe university town too. The most that we had heard of happening was drunk morons doing typical, well, drunk moron things. This was also the first time that we were all really living on our own. First year residents are nice, but it's basically an extended summer camp rather than a, a typical living situation. So... The four of us girls lived in a nice townhouse that never once had a creepy vibe or weird neighbours in the months that we had lived there. The only eerie part was that every weekend, we were the only people who stayed in the complex. All of our neighbours either went home or stayed elsewhere until returning Monday for classes. This was never something that we had given a second thought to, to be honest, considering that was fairly normal for a uni town, especially because our complex was only made up of about four other townhouses. The complex was surrounded by walking trails and farm fields, which we loved. It was like our quiet spot away from the chaos of college kids. There were a few farmhouses that we could see from our backyard, but other than that, we were fairly secluded. The university was about a 20-minute bus ride away, which was never a big deal for any of us, especially because the rent was far cheaper here than in places that were within walking distance to the campus. Being 5'6", I was the tallest by a considerable amount. I was also the only one out of the group that had been in a handful of scary situations in the past. Due to this, I was the only one up to this point who would lock the doors, windows and garage before leaving or going to bed. My roommates, they all grew up in a small very safe town so it was uncommon for them to lock doors back at home. They were also incredibly kind and trusting to everyone, never considering hidden bad intentions. Anyway, the night in question started very normally. We had planned on having a wine and a movie night. This was kind of like a weekly tradition for us. We would pick out some stupid movie, get takeout, and get a little buzz after having a long week of classes and work. At this point, it was early November, so we had been doing this for several months with no issues. By 8.30ish, we had all settled on the couch in our living room and had started a comedy. But with it being November, it was already completely dark outside. That is, other than our porch light, which we could see from the small window at the very top of our door. None of us were tall enough to see anything out of our window anyway, so we just relied entirely on our peephole. It took a great amount of effort for me to convince my roommates to check the peephole before opening the door... This was a talk that we had after one roommate had opened the door for our neighbor's very drunk friend who threw up all over our main floor. That was not a nice day. And not long after ordering our takeout, we heard banging on our front door. Jess made a joke about how the delivery guy must have taken a helicopter to get here this quickly, especially considering the place that we ordered from was very close to campus. It was not a typical delivery guy's knock either, but... Between the few glasses of wine and carefree attitude of the night, we didn't really pay too much mind, I guess. In any case, it was my roommate's turn to pay this week. Her name is Meg, and 
Out of the group, she was the smallest, barely five foot. She is also the most trusting person that I think I've ever met. She ran up to her room to grab her wallet. This took at most 30 seconds. And during this time, the banging continued and was getting more aggressive. I figured maybe it was cold or he had other stuff to do, so we yelled up to get her to hurry and the banging continued to get harder and harder. And it was at this point that I started to feel a bit uneasy. But when she came back down, I told her to check the peephole before opening it, as she was usually the one to just open it. She got to the door and looked out the peephole. She could barely reach it on a good day, so when she said that she couldn't see anything, my other roommate and I got up to help. My second roommate, Jess, is a very funny person, and there are very few things that she would not turn into a joke. But Jess got to the door before I did, looked out of the peephole, the person on the other side still banging away, mind you. And when she turned to look at me, I knew instantly that something was wrong. She looked incredibly confused, a look that I had rarely seen from her as she was very clever. Within a second, she had gone back in for another look as well. This time, her face was not confused. She looked afraid. This made my stomach knot up. She's a horror movie fanatic and she doesn't scare easily. I think someone's covering the peephole, she sort of whisper shouted at us. This time I looked out the peephole, seeing that, yes, something was covering the peephole. We could still see the porch light shining through the window at the top though, so we knew that it was not a case of it being too dark to be able to see what was going on. By now, our other roommate, Anne, had walked down the hall trying to find out what was going on. She was easily the drunkest of the four of us. Even sober though, she seemed to think that she was invincible. But what's your problem? Open the door, the poor dude has hands full, was Anne's wise idea. Jess and I explained what was going on though, and at this point, Meg, Jess and I all had a bad gut feeling that something was wrong. That's when Jess asked Meg to check the website that she had ordered our food from. And Meg had actually not placed the order. Between the wine and the silliness earlier in the night, she had selected our food but didn't finish the last step. The banging continued as our situation started to sink in. Anne still did not seem to grasp what was happening and tried to unlock the door. Stop, I snapped at her. Immediately, I knew it was too loud. For the first time, the person on the other side of the door spoke. They said, this is the police, open the door now, we have a few questions to ask you. The man's voice practically growled back at us. This sobered me up right away. I looked over at Meg who was already welling up, then at Jess who had gone completely pale. At this point, Anne also realized something was not right and froze, which is the least Anne thing that she could have done. The banging was getting increasingly harder to the point that we could physically see the door breathe with each hit. Meg took Anne upstairs trying to calm each other down and check if there was a police car parked outside and make sure our windows were locked. And though it was hard to do, it was possible to get onto part of our roof that made it possible to get to Anne's window. We heard a window slam, immediately knowing that it had been Anne's window. Being a bit of a thrill seeker, Anne had taken her window screen in order to sit on the roof. And for some reason, this made what was happening very real. Show me your badge and then we'll open the door, I yelled back. Instead of a response, it sounded like the guy started to kick the door now. I told Jess to call the police and ask if they had an officer dispatched to our address. 
Jess was shaking so badly at this point that it was hard for her to dial. Now, Meg had come back down the stairs, sharing that there was no police car parked outside. Anne trailed behind her, standing on the stair landing, trying to get a good look outside the window at the top of the door. At that moment, my blood ran cold too, because I remembered that the man at the door had said we and not I. Jess had just come to the same realization too. She sprinted out the back door, a large sliding glass door, which she double-checked it was locked, and thankfully it had been. She drew the curtains as well, trying to minimize the chance of them seeing in. But within a minute, the knocking started at our back door as well. Thank God she had closed the curtains because the idea of seeing whoever was doing this would give me chills. Uncover the peephole and show me your badge, I yelled, trying to sound as intimidating as a young college girl could. But we were met with silence, which was so much worse than the banging. What's your badge number at least? Prove to us that you're the police, I screamed trying to keep my voice from breaking. The only response that I got back was a gravely, I can't do that. Jess had handed her phone off to Meg who was sobbing now trying to speak to the dispatcher. The banging now coming from both sides of the house must have been heard by the operator. Is there someone trying to break in? She asked Meg obviously being unable to understand her. Meg frantically asked if police had been sent to her house the answer that we all knew by now was no. Meg babbled that at least two men tried to get us to unlock the door by impersonating a police officer. Try to stay calm and stay on the phone with me. Police are on their way to your address, the operator told Meg. How long will they be? Meg asked back. No more than ten minutes, she responded. That made Meg cry harder, realizing just how long ten minutes really is. The door was being hit so hard that... I was worried that it was about to break too. Jess ran back toward our back door, making me worry that our kitchen window had been open. Trying to think, I put a chair under the doorknob and sat down hoping the door would hold. Jess came back to the front door holding a kitchen knife and a fire extinguisher, which were really the only things that we had to protect ourselves with in case they got in. Anne, now sitting on the landing, flinched with each hit. Anne was farm tough and had no issue dealing with animals three times her size. But what was happening now, though, was entirely different. We had nothing to really deter whoever wanted in. No prods and no backup until the police showed up, which was not like something that she was used to. She grew up having her family as a neighbors her whole life, and if anything were happening, her uncles and grandfather were at the front door in a minute flat. Anne's I'm invincible attitude was long gone at this point, in other words. She was now as scared as the rest of us, only having some wood and glass keeping these men out. And each hit to the back door made me expect that whoever was there to break through the glass was about to occur. Open the door! The man yelled at us, not caring if we thought that they were the police anymore. Then it got very quiet again, which made me terrified. The only thing worse than what was happening was not knowing where the men were, the idea that both men, or maybe even multiple men, moving to the back door made me absolutely terrified. If they really wanted to, it would take very little effort to smash through that plate glass. Instead, the knocking at the back door completely ceased. Within seconds of that, the front door started being hit again. Trying to wrap my mind around why they would leave the easiest entry for a heavy wood door, I realized the back door was actually visible to the main road. Whether they had seen a car or heard us talking to the police, they were smart enough to not want to be seen by anyone. 
Jess then said something that I had not thought of. I don't think they want to rob us. There are so many houses that are empty. Why would they come to the only house with lights on? She hissed. My whole body went cold at that. I didn't have an answer. All I could say was, you're right. Meg clearly felt the same because at this point she was practically hyperventilating. The three of us stayed quiet for a minute, awful scenarios running through our heads, and moved back up the last few steps and out of sight of us. The operator, who we had forgotten was on speaker, spoke which practically made me jump out of my skin. She must have felt how terrified we were and she tried to calm us down. The police are two minutes away now. They have their sirens turned off and the lights are on. You should be able to see them very soon. Stay on the phone with me so that I can confirm when they're outside for you, she said. The men outside were starting to seem desperate. The sound of glass shattering had me turn to the back door, fully expecting to go into a fence, but the door was still intact somehow. Instead, our porch light, the only light illuminating our dark street, went out, which put two and two together for me. Understanding that they had destroyed the only way that we would have been able to identify whoever was on the other side was clever. It was at this point that they swore at us, yelled expletives, and threatened us. Whoever was at the back door as well, they spat at the door. This was worse than the initial speaker. It was full of so much hate and venom that it scared me more than the banging. He was so calm, intent on whatever his goal was, and it didn't feel like how the first man had sounded. Up until this point, I could have convinced myself that they had wanted our valuables, but this voice made me understand that he wanted us. To this day, I've never heard a voice come close to that level of malice. It sounded like he wanted to inflict serious harm on us, and if he had gained entry, I know that he would have. Somehow, I wanted the first man to speak again instead of whichever sick person had just spoken. I looked at Meg. I know how terrified I must have looked too. Until now, I may have done a half-decent job at hiding how scared I was, but that voice ruined my ability to stay stone-faced. Meg looked like a little scared girl, and that made me panic. If they got in, there was nothing I would be able to do to stop them. Not for me, and not for my friends either. We would have been completely at the mercy of the monster outside. Jess had practically stopped breathing at this point. It was like the oxygen had been sucked out of the air. It was so quiet that it honestly sounded like a gunshot when our mailbox opened. Anne ran back down the stairs. I see the sirens. They're coming down the main road now, she whispered, hoping not to have the men here. The same man spoke again one more time so slowly that I almost thought that he was done after each word. In that same awful, calm voice, he read out a letter addressed to the four of us. Our neighbor must have put it in today. She had planned a potluck for the next week. None of us thought to check the mailbox after we had talked to her in the driveway this morning. He said, Jess, Meg, Anne, those are nice names. I'll be back soon, girls, then we'll have some fun. I felt tears rolling down my face. I hadn't realized that I had started crying, but I knew that he meant what he had said. I tried to pull my mind out of the dark pit that that sentence had sent it to, waiting, praying that the police had surprised them, hoping that they would not get the chance to come back. The silence continued. None of us dared to speak, worried that we would not hear if they moved to another point of entry. Instead, the silence persisted for what felt like a lifetime. 
The operator was the first one to speak again, telling us that the police are out front. She told us to stay in the house until the police knocked on the door. The kind woman stayed on the phone with us for several more minutes while the police searched around the area. Finally, the real police showed their badge to the people before even knocking to try not to scare us. The operator told us that we had done well and that we were in good hands now. We opened the door to be met by two kind-looking older police officers who we let in. Glass shards covered our front stoop from our porch light. It looked like it had been ripped out of the wall and smashed onto the concrete below. There were several police cars out front of our previously quiet home. The headlights on all of the cars were shining down the street towards the walking trail. We spoke to the officers who took a report from us. They asked us to describe the night's events in detail. They asked us if we had saw them at all and we explained how the peephole had been covered and the light had been smashed before moving away from the door. The officers advised us to speak to our landlord about, at the very least, security cameras. The older officer then closed the pad that he had been writing in and looked at us. He then spoke a phrase that made me understand how much danger that we had actually been in. Look, if any of you were my daughters, I would have wanted the officer to tell her... If you can get out of your lease, then you should do it. They know where you all live and they also know the response time for us, especially after telling you all that they would be back. After that, they asked us if we heard a vehicle. That was something that I hadn't considered, actually. We didn't hear any type of motor, actually, until the police were there. Even when Meg and Anne had gone to look for a police car, they saw no cars on the street at all. So likely that meant that they had come from walking the path which would explain how they left without passing the police on their way back to the main road. The older officer of the two had a look that told me that he had an idea of what was going on. He looked sad, which was worse than if he had looked scared. I knew that he had seen this situation end far worse in the past. We pushed for an explanation, but were only told that this had been an issue years ago, but did not elaborate past that point. The officer stood up, exchanged a glance that... I didn't know how to read and then spoke again. We'll have a cruiser parked in the driveway as well as a plane car around the back. They'll have no chance to try again. They did not catch the men in the two more weeks that we lived there. We had a few other creepy things happen but nothing close to this. The reality was that they had not been caught and they could come back any time. After this night, we spoke to our landlady who was incredible. She owned several properties around the city and when we explained what had happened, she let us move to an apartment closer to the campus. She told us that our safety is more important than making a few hundred dollars. She even left the house empty for many months in order to make sure cameras, better locks and reinforced back door was installed. Thankfully, they didn't seem to come back and we were able to enjoy our new apartment without worrying. But this was definitely the scariest thing to ever happen to me. Especially that voice, a voice that I will have seared in my mind for as long as I live. My advice, make sure you lock your doors and check whoever's there before even opening it. Because you just never know if something like this could happen to you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. In my late teens and early 20s, I was friends with a girl named Lucy. She was a very lonely kind of girl whose parents were, well, honestly, pretty terrible parents. Her mother was verbally abusive, and her father really couldn't care less about anything. Because of the lack of love in her life, Lucy searched through dating sites for love and comfort from strange men, and she was not afraid of meeting them face to face, even if they'd been chatting for only a few days. My friendship with Lucy was a, a strange one too. I found her quite annoying sometimes, but I also felt awful for her because of her loneliness and lack of friends and love in her life. Sometimes I really didn't want to hang out with her, and some days I would accept her offer to hang out. When it was just her and I together, she was normal and okay to be around, but also very appreciative of having someone giving her attention, I guess. We had a small group of friends, and she would try to get us all together as often as possible, and honestly, the whole group together was really quite fun. But when we were all together, Lucy was very hyper and you could just tell that she was happy to be around people and didn't insult her as her mother does. But suddenly, Lucy tells us that she has a boyfriend. We were all pretty surprised about this because we knew that she met a lot of guys online, but we had never heard her say that she was dating someone. Anyway, a few days later, she sets up our day for our friend group to meet Trevor. None of us were looking forward to it because we thought that he was going to be like all the others, a temporary toy boy. And when we met him, we all felt awkward. He barely spoke a word, he wouldn't look directly at any of us at all. Lucy would try to be funny, but he would just give her dirty looks. Needless to say, we thought that he was a weird one and could tell that he didn't care much for her. As the days went on, Lucy kept telling me about how much Trevor did not like me. This was weird too because no one ever disliked me. I mean, I'm always polite, respectful, and I smile a lot at everyone. But for some reason, he just did not like me. She kept saying that he thinks that I'm using Lucy for her money. Not sure how he thought that since I paid for everything for Lucy. To keep this piece of the story short though, I think he was trying to find reasons to convince her to get rid of me. I got a terrible vibe from Trevor as well. 
He dressed like he didn't care about life. He never smiled. He didn't shake our hands when first meeting us. He stank of weed and really just had an overall uncomfortable feeling about him. After months of Trevor trying to convince Lucy that I'm a terrible friend and she should not hang out with me anymore, she started to do as he said. She would start to hide me from him. If she and I were together and he would call her on her phone, she would lie and say that I wasn't there. If she was with the group of friends, he would have her swear that I wasn't there. When he was going to be joining the group on an outing or just hanging out at her place, she would tell me that I couldn't come. Lucy would do whatever a boyfriend says just to keep pleasing him so she doesn't lose them. Now, here's where it gets scary. Lucy calls me one day and says that she wants me to come hang out at her place and I agreed. She came to pick me up and we went to her house and watched TV for a bit. We then decided, since it's a nice day outside, we would take her two dogs for a walk to a nearby pocket park and would later return to the house to have lunch together. While at this park, she receives a phone call. Now, let me say that Lucy is not a private person whatsoever and has never ever walked away to answer a phone call until this day. She walked far away enough that she knew that I would not be able to hear anything that she said. This was suspicious to me, but not enough to question it. The call ends and she begins walking toward me with a look on her face as if she's trying not to smile. She tells me, so I need to bring you home now. I was slightly confused as we'd only been together for like an hour when we usually spend the entire day together and she would never want me to just go home. She would even frequently beg me to sleep over to avoid being alone. Well, anyway, I, I just said okay and... We walked to drop off her dogs at the home and we got into her car and off we went. About 10 minutes into the car ride, I realized that she isn't going in the direction of my house, so I questioned it. Where are we going? She smirked but didn't respond. I asked again, laughing uncomfortably, seriously, where are we going? She continued to smirk but didn't want to answer me. I started to realize that she was heading in the direction of where her boyfriend lived and I thought, oh heck no. I asked one more time with anger in my voice, where are you taking me? Her only response was bone chilling. Trevor wants to talk to you. And no way I was having any of this. I insisted and demanded that she let me out of the car, but with her evil smirk and same response, she said it again. It's okay, he just wants to talk to you. I was furious at this point because this creepy guy who looks like he wants to kill someone, who also despised me, wanted to talk to me. Why can't he talk to me on the phone? Why do I need to go to his sketchy apartment? She absolutely refused to let me out of the car. She had the doors locked as if I wasn't able to unlock my passenger door. I waited until she reached a red light. Then I grabbed her wallet from the back seat and took out her bus pass and bolted out of the car. I had no idea where I was or where the nearest bus stop was, but I was not about to let her crazy boyfriend do whatever he wanted to me. She yelled for me to get back into the car, but of course I ignored her. She sped off furiously and I immediately blocked her number on my phone. I removed her as my friend on social media and immediately warned the group of friends not to talk to her because she's gone nuts. And I haven't spoken to her since that very day and... She also lost the other five friends of the group as well, unfortunately. In any case, after this situation, Lucy, I really hope that 
You're truly lonely now. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, formerly known as Western State Hospital, is a Kirkbride building that housed the mentally ill from 1864 to 1994. In 2007, it was privately purchased and has become a museum or historic location and ghost hunting spot. It has a most unpleasant and dark history that I've regaled to thousands of people and it pains me to be an expert on the subject. In 2021, I retired from my position as a guide and ghost hunt event manager under severe burnout. After all that I experienced there, it solidified in my mind that paranormal things that defy rational explanation do indeed happen, and certain phenomena are absolutely real, electronic voice phenomena especially. It's pretty much October now, and I'm feeling a little spooky, so here are a couple of strange things that I've experienced in my time there. So one evening, while training for the job, I was on the first floor with a couple of co-workers while everyone else was touring upstairs. We were just kind of killing time, quietly observing the area. Light from outside was coming in through the windows, casting on the inner hall's wall. And in that light, I watched the perfect silhouette of a man from head to hip walk through that light from left to right. I said something about it, and the three of us watched as an arm and hand moved into the light from the right side. I immediately ran into the room and began looking out of the window for someone outside, but there was no one there. At that time, the realization that from the ground to the bottom of the window is like seven feet didn't even occur to me. But I will never forget the crisp, clear silhouette shape for as long as I live. But we would run experiments too with a spirit box. It sort of rapidly scans radio frequencies and are believed to be communication devices. One person would use one with the noise-canceling earbuds. All they're able to hear is the radio static and blips of a few random stations. And when they hear a word or a phrase, they are to say it out loud. I always liked this role in the experiment too. Now one evening, my co-worker and I ran one of these experiments in a notorious room where a murder in 1987 took place. For 10 minutes, I sat and listened to nothing but radio static through the spirit box. No blips of the radio, nothing except the sound of static. I was starting to get bored in fact when I heard a woman's voice say evil. So I spoke up and repeated the word evil. Next thing I know, my co-worker is shining her flashlight in my face to get my attention. I pull out the earbud and she was practically frantic saying, It's time to go, time to go now. So we haul butt out of the room down the hall, down the next hall to the center section before she would even tell me what happened. While I was hearing nothing but static, she said that she kept hearing what sounded like someone shuffling their feet and walking around just outside of the door. She said that she spoke up and asked, whoever is out in the hallway, are they nice? That was when I spoke out and said evil. In the wee hours one night as well, we figured that it would be cool to see what would happen if we shut all the doors of the ward. And one of the doors, as I was closing it, the knob twisted in my hand. I was not twisting the doorknob at all and it was forcibly pulled closed. I stood there for several moments opening and closing that door trying to replicate what had just happened, trying to explain it. But finally the person with me was like, what are you doing? It was really weird I admit but I had never felt invisible forces like that before. I had three people spend the night one night too and they had thermal imaging video. They set it up pointing down the hall where we would all watch on a tablet 
We thought that it would be interesting to leave a device at the far end of the hall that would alarm if the field around it was disturbed. As one of the dudes walked down the hall to put it there, we could see his form on the thermal imaging, clearly human-shaped in colors representing heat and warmth and all that. When he walked by one of those doorways about a fourth way down the ward, the shape of a head, neck, shoulders, and upper body of a person in colors indicating cooler temperatures lean peeked out as he walked by, like someone popped out of the room for a sec as he walked by to check him out. I've never seen anything like it and I won't forget it and would give my left testicle if I had one for a, a copy of that footage. And that happened a lot too, a guest capturing something far out and not sending a copy to us, which was really annoying, but I did get to see a lot, which I'm thankful for. Anyway, I want to end this by sharing something that absolutely changed me and that I still don't understand. I remember the exact night and time of those occurrences too. That's how profound and somewhat unsettling they were. June 3rd and June 4th of 2017 at 3.40 in the morning. So, June 3rd. After an hour or so of hearing females' voices, one instance even sounded like she had said my name, as well as banging around and footsteps, literally running sounds on that hardwood floor towards us, I sat quietly on the floor with a group. I started to feel dizzy, lightheaded and gross, I told myself that it was my imagination and that I would be fine. A few minutes later, I started to feel this intense burning sensation on my lower back, just to the right of my spine. Again, I told myself that it was all just my imagination. The burning sensation kept amping up though, getting worse and worse. I told myself that I didn't want to be that guy and say anything in front of these people, you know. Finally though, it got to the point where I just had to say something. I asked my coworker with us if there was anything there. She was like, oh my goodness, there on my lower back, just to the right of my spine, was a mark that looked like a burn or an abrasion, about three to four inches long and about one inch wide. Now, I'd seen other such claims made by visitors of scratch marks and the like, often written them off, and the marks were always gone within an hour at most. I had visible marking on my back for almost a week though. My nerves there, to this very day, often feel very weird too. Sometimes chilled or sometimes like a skin soreness or something. Strangely as well, especially when I think about the experience. June 4th, some part of the building, some time of night, because I just can't get enough, right? I noticed that my voice recorder ran out of memory. So I'm holding it in my right hand, using the flashlight in my left so I could see what I was doing. And suddenly, I feel a burning sensation on the underside of my right forearm. I did a what the heck and shifted my flashlight to it. The person beside me and I watched as three welts began to appear down my arm. Needless to say, that blew my mind. It was one thing to see marks like that. It was a whole other to watch it as it happens on your own skin. And like the majority of other incidents that I'd heard about regarding these welts, those marks were gone within about 10 to 15 minutes. No lasting effects. Scared would probably be the wrong word for this, but I have none to describe my mind frame around these events. I took a week off from work after it to try and just process it all and was nervous being in that hallway for the rest of that summer. Like I said, I still don't know what to think about all this or believe, but I know what happened. I've got enough stories of experiences to probably fill a book at this point, but I'll leave you with these for now and 
I'll add a, a final note about how constantly perking around in the dark and talking about past true horrors of human experiences day in and day out truly takes a bit of a toll spiritually and emotionally on you. Since my resignation, my mental health and overall level of happiness has greatly improved. I used to tell people for a while afterwards that it felt like I'd gotten out of a toxic relationship at that place. So it was probably for the best that I left, but I must admit, I'm still curious about that place. Still wonder if things are going on. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one.